CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now! Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. Good evening to you, Mike. Good evening to you, Ryan. Long time no see. That too. Uh, it's been a whole, uh, about 24 hours since we've last seen each other. Uh, obviously we, uh, we, we got a chance to go to the West Division semifinal at Investors Group Field together yesterday. We'll get into that in a little bit. Before we begin talking about the CFL games that happened this past weekend, the Division semifinals, and get into talking about the Division finals coming up this week, we do want to mention the bonus coverage that is again coming this week on this podcast. Last week, I had the pleasure and the real honor of bringing the, uh, you the CFL Playoff Roundtable special uh, episode of our podcast in which I had a chance to interview uh, four different guys from around the CFL community, podcasters, reporters, and got a chance to do that. You guys have made that our highest listened to show in the history of this podcast, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to listen to that. Yeah, I really enjoyed it myself. Uh, it was a great piece of work done by yourselves and your guests, Ryan. And, and, and you know, you, you guys loved it so much last week that uh, we decided to bring it back for another week. I've got the interviews booked. It, the show will be out Thursday. CFL Playoffs, a round two edition of the CFL Playoff Roundtable special. Uh, confirmed guests for you here are uh, Ryan Ballantyne of the CFL Horseman Radio uh, podcast. He'll be joining me to talk about the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, we complete the Eskimo Empire podcast hat trick this season and finally get uh, Superfan Mike, the uh, third co-host of the Eskimo Empire podcast, joining me to talk about the Edmonton Eskimos. Clay Chisholm of the uh, Argos Fancast will be joining me to talk about the Toronto Argonauts. And then we have Travis Curra uh, of the Two and Out CFL podcast joining us to talk about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. All of that CFL playoff roundtable out Thursday. That sounds fantastic. I can't wait to hear it. Looking forward to bringing it to you. Division semifinals are now over. They ended this weekend, and now we're left with four teams left in the CFL. Uh, and with the division finals coming up this weekend, it all comes down to Calgary and Edmonton out west, Toronto and Saskatchewan out east. That, let's begin with, with talking about the west semifinal here, Mike. The Bombers hosting the Edmonton Eskimos. 27 years and counting without a championship here in Winnipeg, and so it continues. It continues, but... Who didn't see this coming? That is the million-dollar question. Hey, well, you picked the Bombers last week. I understand, <laughs> and I, it was more going with my heart, looking back on it instead of my head. I mean, when you put Edmonton and Winnipeg 
on paper side by side, I think it's abundantly clear who the better team was. Oh, 100%. And yes, I mean, technically they finished tied in the re- with record, but the Bombers, you know, got the home playoff game due to a tiebreaker. Um, but coming into this game, I mean, just talent on the field-wise, um, given the schemes they play as well, and due to some of the injuries the Bombers had coming into the playoffs, I, I, I think it was it was looking like an Eskimos win on paper, and uh, it ended up being an Eskimos win out on the field. Now, there's those that will say, why are two 12 and 16 meeting in the semifinal? And a 10 and 8 team plays a virtually 500 team. A 10 and 8 team has to travel across the country. The debate will rage on as far as seeding in this year's great top playoffs. Yeah, but that's a conversation for every other week that you bring it up. So um... it, it's a conversation. <laughs> I, it's a conversation for a different day. But what I'm trying to get at, Ryan, is even if it would have been the Ottawa Red Blocks, or even if the Bombers would have had a bye, to say take on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this, um, this week, regardless of the format. I still don't think it would have changed the result. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. You know, looking back on this game and the season for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and we're going to kind of dive more deep into that once we hit around to the off season. you know, what went well, what went wrong for them all season long and where they go from here. But, you know, after yesterday's game, what? I had quite the bitter feeling as a Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan, you know, 27 years without a championship. You and I have never seen the, well, yeah, never seen the Bombers win a Grey Cup in our lifetime, right? Right. I've seen the Bombers in three Grey Cups, but, uh, but, but, we, uh, but not, not to win one. Yeah, they've never won one in, in our lifetime. Um, and, and it continues, and it just appalls me that in an eight slash nine team league, as it was eight teams for well, it was nine teams and eight teams, and now it's back to nine teams, that you can go twenty seven years without winning a championship. It's yeah. appalling to me. It's appalling, especially when you know we're seeing the rebuild in Saskatchewan take two years, basically from the ground up, and they're in a West. And the East Division final, so it's kind of hard to watch. Well, and when you have a team in Ottawa that can go from first year as a franchise winning two football games, going to the Grey Cup the year after, and winning it the year after, and its first three years in the league going to the Grey Cup twice and winning it once, and then all of a sudden, and then you have the Winnipeg Blue Bombers who in 27 years have not won a championship. It's appalling, to say the least, and it's disappointing. I I hope they win one in our lifetime. I I imagine eventually they will. When will it come? I don't know. But you know, you know, it's disappointing. It's just disappointing to see um, this city. You know, the fans, bomber faithful, pack the house at Investors Group Field. Although it definitely could have been more packed. There were a lot of empty seats there. To be fair, uh, and and promising season and then it all comes crashing down in the playoffs it, it it was tough it was a tough loss um it was most definitely one that left a bitter taste in a lot of winnipeggers mouths after that game um and, and i don't i i think yeah 
I think it just underscored the fact that the Bombers won a lot of games in which they forced a lot of turnovers. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, I took that stance, you know, yesterday, okay, you know, hard to take the positives out of a loss because the season just ended, you know, you're disappointed with what you saw out on the field. Um, this morning, you know, kind of midday today, it kind of started to turn around and that there are a lot of positives to take out of this season for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The feeling of emptiness is definitely still there for a lot of us here in Winnipeg in the sense that, you know, it means nothing if you don't go out and win the championship. But we saw a lot of growth from the Bombers team, this Bombers team this year. And I think there's a couple, we're a couple fixes away from them being a championship caliber team. There are a couple fixes and a couple monster signings away. This team has some big free agents. And that and that's gonna be that's gonna be the question. What happens with free agency this year? You got guys like Maurice Leggett, Justin Medlock, Weston Dressler, all of these guys I can name more for you. Um that are free agents this off season and some of them, you know, we heard rumors today or reports out there that Justin Medlock's possibly considering retirement um, or moving on out of Winnipeg. That's, that's, that is very ominous to me right there. What I heard from McKittrick today. We, we, we don't know. We don't know what we're going to see, uh, what could change in the off season. And that's the thing with the CFL is, you you can go and say from one year to the next that, okay, yes, we can take positives out of this season. Next season's going to be great, but there's so much uncertainty in the off season with this league that you don't, you can't for certain say that because so many positives out of BC last year. Jonathan Jennings is looking like an MOP candidate. They go on to lose, what was it, eight of their last 10 football games this year and miss the playoffs for the first time since who knows when. Yeah, it's really interesting to me, Ryan. I I believe as much as the Bombers are going to focus on, you know, re-signing a lot of these guys that are free agents, I would love to sign in a lot of offensive free agents. The defensive free agents you can fill in with, you know, here and there attorneys. But let's not kid ourselves. There's going to have to be some personnel changes on this defense. Yeah, so we're going to get more into talking about what the Bombers need to do in the offseason. Once we get to the offseason, short and sweet just to wrap that kind of conversation up here. Two biggest things I think the Bombers need to go out and do besides, you know, wrapping up some of their own free agents in the offseason. Change that defensive coordinator. I think we very clearly saw in this game... You know, this was the defining moment for Richie Hall as the defensive coordinator for the Bombers, and I'd be, and I'd be surprised to see him back next year. Uh, and it's then on really the other... dis- it's really disturbing, Ryan, just to pick up on a comment, but the defense is unable to do it down in back-to-back years in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, and we're, and we're going to talk about that right away. Uh, and then the other side of the thing is, uh, I, I think they need to go out and uh, pick up a couple free agents at wide receiver in the offseason. Granted, Darvin Adams was injured, Dressler was injured, so you have your two top receivers. Really weren't in the lineup too much together throughout the season, um, but I think they could definitely go out and uh, get a little bit more depth at wide receiver. 
Um, not that some of the younger guys, newer guys, didn't step up at times, but I feel like that was uh, that was something maybe the Bombers were missing this year. The Bombers need to bat up a wheelbarrow to Travis uh, Bond, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Getting into, the, getting into the actual football game here, Mike, the Bombers and the Eskimos, you look at the first half, this was about as even of a half of football as we could possibly see. I would say the stats all were pretty similar. It was tied 10-10 at halftime. I thought it was a great first half of football. Yeah, you know what? 10-10. Holy Mike Riley do a century and 50 passing yards. Um, yeah, you know what? For me, the big difference was the Bombers left point on the field. Early in the first half you're talking about, right? Yeah, they had a chance with that 14 or 19-yard field goal there by Madlock, which they could have converted for a touchdown. There was an opportunity to extend some drives. I didn't particularly like the sequence of play calling um, on the first Bomber offensive drive. I thought that was kind of the chance to establish Andrew Harris. Instead, they come out, get an incompletion, and then get off trove. It's, you know, five yards or so short of a first down. Uh, Mike O'Shea decides to pull a fake punch at the third quarter there, which was not the reason the Bombers lost. But it was arguably a momentum shift in the game. It was, but it underscored the fact that the Bombers needed a lot more from my defense. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, the house of cards just crumbled on them. Yeah, and you know, so so to be fair here, the Eskimos' hottest team coming into the CFL playoffs, I have them as my Grey Cup champions this year. You heard it on our playoff preview show last week. Um, and, and coming in, you know, I was expecting Mike Riley to torch up this Bombers defense. First half, the Eskimos, given how hot they've been, played some pretty sloppy football. We saw a lot of dropped passes. You know, they didn't really get rolling offensively in the first half. I thought the Bombers, like, that was their chance, right? You know, you have this hot Eskimos team coming in to your stadium for a playoff game. They're playing sloppy in the first half. You take advantage of it and run it down their throat. Um, And like you said, left some points off the board. That had me so nervous at halftime because you stuck around this long. It's only a matter of time. It's November football before Mike Riley is going to do what Mike Riley does. And he did exactly that in the third quarter. The Eskimos put up 29 points in the second half on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And... Terrible coverage on the majority of his throws. It's unexplainable coverage, Ryan. I looked at the game on the PVR afterwards again. Oh, wow. You you, you put yourself through that pain again. Yeah, and I wanted to see exactly what went wrong on the blown coverage. And it was just that. One of the receivers lined up wide open. Like, come on. Another one, Madaya chases him down, but loses him in, in, in a bit of a double move. 
he fades for, he goes for the double move from a receiver and he's wide open. There's another one on a wide open one when you step the waiter from a football game. The bottom line, Ryan, and Doug Brown nailed it on the head. You can get away, you can get away with one of those one or two of those plays, but you certainly can't get away with three of them. Yeah, and and turnovers have been this Bombers team has lived and died with turnovers all season long. The Eskimos, I don't, uh, they had one C.J. Gable fumble in this game, but uh, other than that, I don't think they actually turned the ball over. Uh, whereas the Winnipeg Blue Bombers did a couple times with a, with a couple fumbles and obviously being stopped on that third down gamble. Costly mistakes, you know, and it's it's stuff that those little plays add up. Eskimos took advantage of momentum early in that third quarter. You know, you talked about, so they, they kick a punt single, they go up by one point. The Bombers are looking at a two and out and then try to fake the punt on the on the third down, you know, fake the punt, give it to Timothy Flanders. He's trying to run it, get the first down. He's stopped by former Bomber Corey Watson. Which, did you happen to hear what Corey Watson said about that play, Mike? No. So Corey Watson actually went and defended Mike O'Shea and said that that was absolutely the right play call and should have worked. But the, I think it was the right guard or the right blocker on that play, the guy who was covering Corey Watson, threw the wrong kind of block. And I guess, I I, I don't know the details of it. he, He slipped apparently out of his block. Yeah, he because basically it, threw the because wrong... Because what the play was is Flanders... I see what Watson is saying. Watson's on the corner. And what you have to do is the guard, and I don't know too much about football, but what I'm thinking he was trying to suggest was if you kind of hold the guy up just slightly, allowing Flanders to get around the corner, there's nothing they can do. Right. Um, but, the pro- but the problem is he didn't edge him out enough and I saw this on the video. He didn't take care of the block long enough for Flanders to get around the corner. Absolutely. Um, and obviously it ends up failing. And the Eskimos grab momentum from there. Go, you know, just put it to the Bombers. Eventually they're up at one point in the fourth quarter. Um, just double checking here what the score was at that point. Uh, I believe it was a nine-point game early in the fourth quarter. It was a 23-point lead for the Eskimos at one point, I believe. I think it might have been... Uh, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I remember it being a 23-point lead um, for the Eskimos at some point in either the third well, or the fourth quarter. There was an easy way to do this. Just take just well, whatever the difference in the football game was, add two touchdowns and two two-point conversions. So yeah, 16, uh, 7, so yeah, 23 point lead. So it would have been, so yeah, it was 39-16 uh, in the fourth quarter until the Bombers score two touchdowns late in the game with, in the final eight minutes, including one with no time left. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And this is what we've seen from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers all season long. Even when they play, you know, not good football, we were still sitting on the edge of our seats near the end of this football game and thought late in that fourth quarter that there was a chance of this miraculous comeback that we were about to witness. Well, and especially if, like, uh, to be fair, I don't know the drive before. Like, the Bombers got two touchdowns on their last three drives. The one drive that they didn't get a touchdown. 
I'm so bewildered to this point. How that's not a PI on the dice hovering Weston Dressler? Yeah, you know, I w- I've always been a defender of Andre Prue's refing. I like to think. Probably not. I probably, you know, he's probably, they've probably blown some calls against the Bombers in the past, and I was outraged and thought he was the worst in the league, but that's how fans, that's how fan bases go when it comes to refing, isn't it? Um, to be fair, Andre Prue is one of the best referees in the CFL, if not the best. Um, but in this game, I thought the officiating was, was a little lackadaisical. Um, I didn't agree with a lot of the calls in this football game, but probably some of that is my Bomber fan bias, to be fair. Like, no, and I agree with you. On the one fumble that C.J. Debo had, how is that any different than the play that Dressler fumbled on? Well, and and I'll say this because you know this is not a podcast where we talk where we trash talk the referees. Right, it's human mistakes. We make mistakes in our everyday jobs. I'm sure they do. It's only natural that they do too. Um, it's just magnified because it's on much larger stage than anything we do for a living. So, to me, yes, you can I... go. You yes, you can go ahead and say, okay, I don't think the refs. I think the refs messed up. But you cannot go and blame a loss on the referees unless you can honestly and truthfully say, we played a perfect game. Because if you are bo- if if you didn't play a perfect game, then there was something you did, not the refs, that caused you to lose a football game. Is there such a thing as the perfect game in football, though? No, probably not. Maybe that 60-1 Calgary went over Hamilton earlier this year. That probably about as close as it gets. From a Tarot standpoint, sure. Well, yeah, that's what I meant, right? Um, one, one would suggest they haven't exactly been the same team since that game. No, maybe not. This football game, though, I thought the Eskimos did a great job. I mean, this is what I expected to see from the Eskimos. They took it to the Bombers' defense in this one. You had Brandon Zilstra. We knew the ball was going to him all day long. C.J. Gable pounded through. You saw him with, I think it was a 14-yard run where into the end zone where his entire offensive line was pushing him into the end zone and just powered through it. Darius Bowman is back to the Darius Bowman we've always known. Um, two touchdowns, 71 yards. I think I got that right, 71 yards. Yep, 71 for Darius Bowman. Darrell Walker was on his game again. Um Mike Riley was playing some pretty great football in that second half, and and they just took advantage of this Bombers defense. And you know, I I I think you can almost go and say the Bombers are one of the easiest teams in the CFL to game plan for. Yeah, and it's so unfortunate. Uh, whatever happened to those Bomber defenses with Tim Burt coached? You're talking that about was, the Swaggerville defense of 2011? Kind of, but, you know, the Bombers used to have games. The teams that Dud Brown was on, the Bombers didn't necessarily have the best offense, but they had the best defense. Yeah. I wish there was some way to kind of make that happen. You know what I mean? Right. Um, like the bombers for me are a little offensive heavy right now. I if they could balance it a little bit more, have a couple more playmakers on defense, 
they'll be fine. Yeah, I would agree with I you. I also think their roster, the way their salaries are aligned, if you probably were to look at, based on salary, bomber offense versus bomber defense, the highest paid guys are on offense. Probably more more guys paid on offense. The offensive guys make more money than the defensive guys. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'm wondering if they could substitute a few more really good offensive players for a couple more good defensive players to kind of balance themselves out a little bit. Interesting. Perhaps that's a that's a topic we uh, we can go through on our postseason uh, wrap up or uh, you know off season look into the, what the Bombers need to do in free agency. Um, kind of two quick thoughts to wrap up the Winnipeg Blue Bombers season as we say goodbye to them for the playoffs. Focus on the Eskimos going forward, uh, along with the other three teams still in the playoff hunt. You're not allowed to make coaching changes until after the Grey Cup, correct? Um, that I'm not sure about. As far as I'm aware, you can't because they, they. I'm pretty sure they put a freeze during Grey Cup week just so another team, you know, they want to focus on the Grey Cup. Over, under, on how long after the Grey Cup it takes for Noel Thorpe to be the defensive coordinator of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Oh, Wow. I don't know. I give it less than a week. It, it, it's such a perfect match, you know. I, I, I'll, I'll say this. I, I don't think Ricky, Richie Hall is going to be back next season just based on, you know, this was kind of the final straw for a defense that's struggled and given up so many yards over the last several years. I, I think this playoff game was the kind of the final nail in the coffin on that. Um, and, and Noel Thorpe, if you're going to go out and get a defensive coordinator, Montreal made a mistake letting him go, and he's the most obvious candidate. So it makes perfect sense for the Bombers. I think it makes perfect sense for Noel Thorpe. And I will not be surprised to see him be named as Bombers defensive coordinator shortly after the Grey Cup. Boy, I will start the campaign for that any day in the week. Absolutely, I would love to see that. Uh, and, 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 and then I wonder, Ryan, how many of these defensive guys actually come back? Because for me, I wonder if it was scheme or if it was personnel. It could have been a bit of both. We saw a lot of missed tackles, but we also saw a lot of wide open receivers, which I, you can chalk a lot of that up to scheme, I think, as well. Final note I want to make here before we say goodbye to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers until the offseason, Mike. Round of applause for quarterback Matt Nichols because this is a guy that has come in early, mid-last season, early, mid-last season, and has turned around this football team. He hasn't done it himself, obviously. There's many pieces that have led to this being a new Bombers football team that has a lot of potential for the future. But Matt Nichols had an MOP quality season this year played the final month of the season with a broken finger on his throwing hand, didn't jog or run all week at practice this week because he couldn't because of his calf injury, and still went out and played this football game on Sunday despite not even being able to jog out of the huddle and having a broken finger on his throwing hand. 
And he didn't play that game manager game we've seen from Matt Nichols and he's known for. He played a heck of a football game, 35 of 48, 371 yards, and three touchdown passes and no interceptions. Matt Nichols is an incredible football player. He's a warrior out on the field, and he is going to be a piece that the Bombers will build a championship team around. Yeah, for me, Ryan, and I hate it all, because I know you want to talk about this in the offseason, but one of the upgrades the Bombers really need to have is a quarterback by Matt Nichols. Okay, I'm glad you finished that sentence because that 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 kind of overthrew everything I just, <laughs> had just said about Matt Nichols. I know, yeah. I know, I know, I know. But yeah, My yeah, bad. I agree with you. Perhaps looking at you know getting a one one B quarterback, um, that's another conversation for another day. The Edmonton Eskimos are moving on to the West Division Final and will face the Calgary Stampeders. Um, anything you got on the Eskimos out of this football game before we move on to talking about the East Final? I see, I don't want to sound like a negative downer, but I'm getting sick and tired. A bomber team getting my hopes up, only to be let down in the playoffs. I have been so excited for the playoffs last year and this year, 11-7, 12-6. But I have been so disappointed by the effort in the playoffs. I hope, and I really wish, that the Bombers would go 13-5 and five next year, go all the way to the Grey Cup, just to silence the negativeness that came from yesterday's football game. I would agree with you on that. Um, anything on the Eskimos you want to talk about uh, from this football game against the Bombers uh, from the Eskimos standpoint before we move on to talking about the East semifinal? Absolutely, and not a story, but I sold the Eskimos short. They are a good football team. They are a better football team than the Bombers. And they will give Calgary a handful this week. Agree with you on that one, and we'll we'll preview that game. Um, and I honestly, and I don't want to divulge my pit, even though I probably will, by saying this. I really think Edmonton did put the boots to Calgary in that week, and I won't even be close. Wow. Moving over to the East Division semifinal, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders come into Ottawa. Um, you and I both picked Ottawa to win this game. We thought, you know, them hosting uh, the Grey Cup this year would be an extra motivation for them. We know the history uh, isn't on the crossover team's side in the playoffs. But the Riders come in, and while they only while the score finished thirty-one twenty, they handed it to the Ottawa Red Blacks, did they not? For sure, absolutely okay. dominant For- performance by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, early on in that game, you know they really took control of it. Coming in, it, it, you heard us talk last week. We talked about what we needed to see from Kevin Glenn. I talked with uh, on our uh, CFL playoff roundtable special with Steve from the Piffles podcast. 
He talked about what we need to see from Kevin Glenn in that game, which was come out early and strike, and he did that on his first two drives. Yeah, just the way it was done was really impressive. I was actually laying around today because I was under the weather, so I rewatched the uh, Saskatchewan game. I'll tell you what, they're doing a Toronto absolute handful this week. And, and Kevin Glenn, I think, kind of silenced people a little bit with that because there was a lot of questions. We've kind of started going into games this year with, uh, okay, what's the leash on him now? How many, you know, how long until he's pulled from this game? And we see Brandon Bridge back in. Uh, Kevin Glenn came out, he started this game well, he owned this game. Uh, and he earned himself a start in the East Final against the Toronto Argonauts, and uh, hope and pray this time uh, in an East Final against the Argos, he doesn't break his arm. Yeah, I mean, for me, this is the interesting thing. Saskatchewan kind of started out slow. They started out fast. Well, no, they started out slow in general, like this season. Oh, okay, okay. But I'll tell you what. Chris Jones has figured it out, and he's figured out how he can get the best out of this group of Saskatchewan Rock Riders. And talk about the late addition in the season of Marcus Thigpen coming in in the final couple weeks. 169 yards and a touchdown. That 75-yard rushing touchdown was an absolute dagger into the hearts of the Red Blacks and their fans. Great addition late in the season there. They've gone through a couple running backs this year. Uh, and an all-around great game from the Riders. They gave up a heck of a lot of yards in the end, you know, 457 yards passing for Trevor Harris. But the offense got on a roll. The defense came up with the key plays when they needed to. They forced turnovers. You look at early in that game, it's 14-8 Saskatchewan. Ottawa's driving uh, due solely to Deontay Spencer because he was the only factor in the first half for them. And then, you know, the Riders come up with a huge interception in the end zone. Keeps eight point, keeps seven points off the board for the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks. Yeah, I mean, for me too, like, I mean, you look at the quarterbacking matchup coming in. Kevin Glenn having, I think they said his record was something like, and don't quote me on this, four and seven or something like that last Going into yesterday's game as a starter in the playoffs, Trevor Harris's first game as a starter, I don't think there was a big factor, you know, in the end of the football game. Just the stats were making a few more significant plays than Ottawa did. Ottawa's weaknesses that were perceived to have happened on the defensive side of the football were exposed for sure um and trevor harris sets a cfl record for pass attempts in a playoff game with 60 passing attempts which is absolutely ridiculous um you know ottawa really didn't get william powell going much in this game at all to begin with eight carries throughout the entire game for 50 yards that's a 6.3 yard average why aren't you giving him the ball more is my question to you especially in that first half uh, it was all Deontay Spencer for the Red Blacks. He had the huge punt return. Uh, he had, you know, receiving touchdown, um, 157 yards. Most of that was in the first half. I think at one point 
He had 99 of their 123 yards of offense late in the first quarter. Like, like, like it was a one-man show for the Ottawa Red Blacks for the majority of this football game, and I, I think that was their downfall in this. It was, but it also underscored that they needed some plays from their defense. Like Saskatchewan had a couple of drives which were decided by big plays, and it's really, really hard to recover when you know you're falling behind by as much as what Ottawa did. It kind of changes your playbook on the fly, and I really don't think Ottawa was comfortable in the second half of the game, especially when that interception happened in the end zone. Uh, I believe it was in the first quarter. Yeah. You could kind of sense the momentum start to kind of turn just a little bit. Because at that point, I believe that was where both teams kind of exchanged touchdowns. On the first three drives of the game, Saskatchewan then touched down Ottawa coming back, and then Saskatchewan coming back. And then I think the interception happened on Ottawa's second drive, which completely changed the momentum of the game in the standpoint that, you know, Saskatchewan kind of had it going offensively. Now they get the defense involved, and the defense kind of got some confidence because they were kind of being being schooled on that first drive, so to say, by Trevor Harris. Right. It would have been completely different, I think, had the Ottawa Red Blast gotten the field door a touchdown on that drive. And I just think it gave the defense so much more ability and so much more oomph to get kind of fired up, if you know what I mean. Well, and you have to, I have to question this. And while you, I don't think you can really pin this loss on the offense for the Ottawa Red Blacks no, in the end of the day. Definitely not. Definitely not. And I, 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 I made, I made that clear uh, earlier. I just think they got exposed on the back end of that defense, kind of like the Bombers a little bit. And just their inability to stop the run. There was that big run by Thid Penn. Yeah. There were breakdowns in the secondary. There were breakdowns in communication as far as running holes, too. Yeah, no no doubt. And you also have to maybe question a little how different this game, would this game have gone differently had you had Brad Sinopoli in the lineup, Greg Ellingson goes down with an injury early in the game, comes back out for the second half, but let's be real, he wasn't playing hurt, he was full out playing injured out on the field, uh, and put it all out on the line for the Red Blacks, and definitely wasn't 100% out there. Had they had these two guys in the lineup, would things end up being a little different? I don't know, um, because they still did throw for 450 yards, but... But the, but the problem is that you're not in a game. It's like that, right? The Bombers could have been in a, in a situation. They scored basically on every drive yesterday. I still don't think the Bombers win because they gave up those big plays, right? Right. So you, every play, every bad play that your defense makes, the offense has to make up for it. Absolutely, and that and that's really what it comes down to, right? Is the uh, it is the big plays can tear your heart out in a split second and, if and you, say, you can I'll play say, you can play a great game for 59 minutes and like 45 seconds and give up a 75 yard rushing touchdown 
a 70-yard passing touchdown, and it can wipe all of that out in however long it takes to run down the field. And, and especially, right, it's so deflating, too. And let, let, me, let me just paint you a scenario. Imagine an offense running a 14-play drive that goes 95 yards, taking off seven minutes, hypothetically speaking. The other team comes back with a one-play 95-yard drive in 21 seconds or however long it takes to run that play down the field. Right. Well, you took a big amount of time off the clock. One team responded in one play. Where's the momentum, right? Right, exactly. Um, and, and, and I think the bomb is just to kind of tie this in, because I think it's the same kind of thing with the Ottawa offense and what they experienced yesterday. You would not... I don't think we underestimate, regardless of what the Bombers say in public and, oh, we like our defense, third-rate people, blah, 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 blah. But I can tell you, there were some Bomber guys and Ottawa's offense probably felt the same way after those big plays. Like, come on, guys. How many of these big plays are you going to give up? Because that just makes our job that much harder. For sure. Can't uh, can't disagree with you on that one. And Saskatchewan did a great job. Chris Jones, knowing that Ottawa was against the wall, put the pressure on Ottawa, and Ottawa could not reply. The Bombers got in such a big hole. Edmonton put pressure on the Bombers. The Bombers could not get out of the hole. And that's why the Riders and the Eskimos are off to the second round of the playoffs. You know what? There are so many comparisons, Ryan, in both games. It's actually unbelievably alarming. Interesting. The two teams won the same way. The two teams lost for much the same reasons. Yeah, and I thought it was a great game plan by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, they really they, they kind of spread things around at wide receiver. Bakari Grant, Naaman Roosevelt back in, Deron Carter back at wide receiver. Uh, they had Chad Owens out there as well. Um, and and got Thinkpen involved big time and really kind of ran it down Ottawa's throats and that that seventy five yard run like you said that was that was kind of the dagger. Um, great game plan by Saskatchewan I thought especially given like I said the history of going out east uh, to come in yep. and really take it to the Ottawa Red Blacks who definitely had to have had the extra motivation of you know hosting the Grey Cup this year. Very disappointing end to the season for the Red Blacks. What do you make of this season now from them and how they go from here? For Ottawa? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if you look at it from a standpoint, you're less disappointed in Ottawa, even though you're hosting the Grey Cup with yesterday's game, than you are disappointed in Winnipeg. Why? Ottawa's played a lot of football the last couple of years. They've been to Grey Cup two years in a row. They've kind of been there, done that. You know, they had the, they had external pressures that were different of that of the Bombers. The Bombers kind of had to get to the Grey Cup. You know, they haven't been there for so long. They haven't won a title since 1990, blah, blah, blah. Ottawa was facing a different pressure. Ottawa was facing the pressure to repeat 
and the pressure to do it on home field. But I think the last disappointment in Ottawa at this very moment, having won the Great Cup, having been in another Great Cup final, then there are in Winnipeg where it's been back-to-back, really good season, but you've been unable to do anything in the playoffs. And I wonder now if the Red Blacks run of going to the Great Cup comes to an end, if we're going to start to see a window open up for Hamilton and a window start to open up for Toronto. Meanwhile, Montreal is still trying to find the keys to get out of the car. (laughs) 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 Or the the best part is that you lost somebody in a room or whatever. And you throw the keys far away. <laughs> and then you tell them to try to find them. I know that's a mean analogy, and I apologize for our Alouette fans. And I, I've had a lot of respect for that, but and a lot of respect for them. Um, but that that's kind of what it's like, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I, I think it will be an interesting East Division next year. Uh, for the Ottawa Red Blacks, even despite the loss this year, I mean, this is their fourth year in the league. They've been to the Grey Cup twice, and they won it last year. Um, last year, no one really expected them to win it. You know, being an 8-9-1 and one team going up against the mighty Calgary Stampeders, it was about as much of a David and Goliath uh, Grey Cup as you could get, and they come out on top. Obviously, there's disappointment because you're hosting the Grey Cup this year in Ottawa, and the expectations were there. Um, but really, you know, I, I, I think it's a fully justified way the season came to an end for them. This was a team that struggled to kind of close out football games, um, despite, you know, Saskatchewan kind of taking control early. They were still in this game, and then they just let it get away from them. So, Yeah, it's, I'll tell you what, I have a lot of intrigue for what happens next week. Are you ready to move into talking about next that, week? Yeah, because that, that, that to me is really intriguing. Uh, let's flip over back to the West, talking about the Battle of Alberta in the playoffs, the Edmonton Eskimos, the Calgary Stampeders. This is going to be an interesting matchup, is it not? And people that really want... Uh... People who really wanted the Battle of Alberta in the playoffs finally get it. Yep, they do. And it's bound to be what I am expecting is a heck of a football game. Season series between these two teams this year, I believe the Eskimos won one of them and Calgary took the other. The Eskimos winning the most recent matchup between the two teams. I believe, Ryan, that they actually played three times. Right, yeah. So uh, The Labor Day. The Labor Day bat-to-bat, and then the late-season game. Which, uh, that one was the one that the Eskimos took, right? Yeah, so the Eskimos took the late one, but Calgary won the two back-to-back games. That was during Eskimos' losing streak in the middle of the season. Yep. So you have these two teams coming in and playing the playoffs. The Calgary, basically on polar opposite ends of the spectrum right now, Calgary goes on a three-game losing streak late in the season. Uh, they have the bye week coming into this. They uh, and they go up against Edmonton, who you know six straight wins now, including the West semifinal over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Is is this a case right now where 
despite you know being the best team in the CFL, the Calgary Stampeders are underdogs coming into this game. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting. Calgary's been on a downward tail. They've lost, you know, their last three games. For me, what is of most concern is not necessarily the game against Winnipeg. It's the two games before that where they did not look good. Right, because they did rest several guys in that game against Winnipeg, including Bowie by Mitchell. Um, it, it, this is unknown territory with Calgary coming into the playoffs. We're used to them going on a roll and coming into the playoffs expecting to see it, expecting the moon from them. Now we come into this game this week against Edmonton. Like I said, a lot of people actually have the Calgary Stampeders as underdogs. Does that play in their favor? It depends if they think they can win this game or not. I haven't seen anything in the last three weeks. But that makes me suggest, it makes me think that uh, Calgary done anything positive to win win this game. So let's get into breaking down this matchup. I kind of, with these two games as we preview them, want to do what we've done in the past, go through offense, defense, special teams, uh, and, and maybe, you know, coaching and see which side has the better matchup and then get into our picks for these games. Sure. Uh, so starting off, Calgary-Edmonton, the offensive side of the ball. I, I, I think, you know, uh, I, I'll ta- I'll go first on this one, and I have a feeling you'll agree with me, that the Eskimos definitely have the advantage in terms of offensive football, just based on we've seen their Edmonton, the Edmonton offense on an absolute roll late in the season, and Calgary, that has been the big question mark all season long, is on offense. Yeah. You know what? I would agree with that. Quarterbacks, I think, is even. I think the receiving core and the offensive line favors Edmonton. And then running back, I would say, is pretty even. Jerome Messam uh, and C.J. Gabor, two of the top running backs in the CFL. I I think that's even. Yeah, when they're utilized properly. I give the edge to the Eskimos. I like the wide receiver. Uh, wide receiving core of the Eskimos a little more. You mentioned the offensive line. That's an interesting one to me because Calgary has always been known for having the best offensive line in the CFL. That's why Bowie by Mitchell is one of the only quarterbacks who's barely been injured in the last couple of years and you barely ever see him get sacked is because of Calgary's offensive line. I think we've seen some flaws in them late in the season here. Um, and the Eskimos, they have a pretty formidable front four on defense. Uh, you got Amando Sewell, Odell Willis, uh, among others, on there. And, and I think that's something that they they could fully take advantage of the struggles of the offensive line for the Calgary Stampeders, get Bowie Mitchell off his game, kind of like we saw what happened when Bowie Mitchell got off his game in the Grey Cup last year. Yeah, and me thinks, Ryan, that we're in for one of these 19, 16, 21, 17, 13, 11 kind of games. Wouldn't surprise me. Just the way these two defenses kind of like to lock it down. But when it comes down to it, Ryan, I believe that Edmonton will make that one extra big play with the receiving core that they have, and that will be the difference in the football game. 
And moving on to the defensive side of the ball here, who do you give the edge on defense? Uh, even. I give it to no one. Even. Why Why? Why? Why even? I, I've seen what the Edmonton defense can do. And during this losing streak, I'll, t- I'll tell you what in Calgary. The defense is not to blame. The defense has played as shut down as I've ever seen a Calgary defense in the last five to seven years. Edmonton just kind of started to run to form defensively, and that's the scary part. Yeah, and, and you want to bring you want to you want to bring pressure. We can do that. You yeah. want to play man coverage. We can do that too. You know, it's it's kind of like how do both these teams want to play it? Do you want to play a shootout, forty-five, forty-one? Do you want to play a lockdown? Lock it down, smash mouth. You have to work your butt up for every yard in this game. Well, and, and I think how do the, sorry, go ahead. It's so my my biggest thing is how do the defensive coordinators want to play this game? I I, I think that that to me is the most question. I I think defensively, you look at it for the Eskimos. Yeah, I agree with you. They've They've gotten a lot better as the season's gone on, and because it's because they've gotten guys back from injury, and they've they've picked up guys you know from the NFL like they had Aaron Grimes come back. That was a huge addition for them. They picked up John Chick earlier in the season on the defensive line. That's been a huge boost for them there as well. Uh, and they got all of their guys back from injury, uh, and and so we've seen this Edmonton defense come together late in the season, and I, I think it's a lot closer match on defense than it, it was earlier in the season. But I give the advantage to the Calgary Stampeders because they have put on one of the best defenses I have seen in recent history in Calgary this year, and it's all led by that guy at linebacker, second year in the league, Canadian Alex Singleton, absolutely has been dominant this year and very clearly that defense as a whole has been dominant has barely given up points for the majority of the season has carried that team through a lot of games this year i give the nod to calgary's defense because it's been stellar i expect a war in the trenches for sure looking at the special team side of the ball this one i would say is even Calgary's Renee Paradis, Sean White of Edmonton, Rob Naver punting. I'm just trying to think this through. Well, you you look at yeah, you look at Sean White, you look at uh, Renee Paradis, you know, kicking. You look at the kick returners. I would have given the nod for the majority of the season probably to Calgary in that sense because Roy Finch has been incredible this year. And Edmonton struggled in the return game. But Jamil Smith had a heck of a game against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Had a couple big returns called back due to penalties. But I thought he really broke it out well. Uh, He's done that since he took over the return duties for the team. And I think this is an even matchup. For me, Ryan, this comes down to punching in field position. And I'm not sure if it's Hugh O'Neill can deliver the adequate field position a Rob Naver can. So you're giving the edge to Calgary in that sense. Just by a small margin. 
Looking at the sidelines here, the you have uh, Dave Dickinson and Jason Moss uh, coaching for either side in this game. Who do you give the nod in that sense? Dave Dickinson been here before. Jason Moss hasn't been here before as a head coach, only as a coordinator. Slight advantage, Dickinson, I think. Well, Jason Moss was the head coach last year when they uh, when they went to the East Division final. This this is true as well. I for some reason I had it in my head, but this was Moss's first year as head coach of the Eskimos. For me, both coaches have to stop outthinking themselves and just let this football game play out. I I'll say this is even maybe a bit of a nod to Calgary at the coaching level. Um, just based on, you know, what happens if Edmonton gets down and Jason Moss can't control his temper a little bit and we see another headset yeah. being thrown, you know, I could I could see a situation like that possibly happening. Um, so I'll give a bit of an edge to them there. Overall, Mike, where are you going with this football game? I'm going with the team that beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And you're asking me for a pick? Yeah. The final score, the Edmonton Eskimos, 24, Calgary Stampeders, 19. I'll take Edmonton as well for a lot of the things we've discussed. I think it's just momentum. I, I, I think matchup-wise, these two teams look like a pretty even matchup. One has, Edmonton has the advantage on offense. Calgary has it on defense. That kind of all adds up to you know a very even matchup. Um, but I'm taking Edmonton based on momentum alone. They're the hottest team in the CFL right now. I'm taking the Eskimos to win this one, 29 to 23. Very close. What what do you see being the difference? I, I I just need to see Calgary's offense come out there, almost like what we were saying from Saskatchewan with Kevin Glenn coming into this game against Ottawa. If Bowie Vi Mitchell can come out and throw a touchdown on his first drive. That might change my perception here a little bit. If they can get that offense rolling early, then that's going to change things for me. But that's the big question mark coming into this game is what is Calgary's offense going to do? Do do you think that if it comes down to a shootout, let's say both teams in the high 30s, low 40s for points, who do you give the advantage to if it's last team with the ball wins? Edmonton. So for Calgary, do you feel that this needs to be a low-scoring game for them to win? I, I think so. I, I, I just, that Edmonton offense has so many weapons. And Calgary's offense on paper is no knock against it at all. They they, they have a pretty high-quality offense as well. Um, I, I Just what I've seen from Edmonton's offense on the six-game winning streak they're on right now, I would give them the nod in that, and I agree. I, I think Calgary does need a lower-scoring game because that means that their defense is shutting down Mike Riley and the Eskimos' offense. Yeah, but the question is, how do you do that, right? Right. That's, that's, I saw so many things from Mike Riley that I like, and that's the scrambling ability if needed. And I, I don't know if Foley by Mitchell was able to do that in the case of extreme pressure. Right. So we're both taking Edmonton at this point to go on to the Grey Cup. We'll see who they're, they'll be playing against with our predictions. We move over 
to the East Division Final, the Toronto Argonauts hosting the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This is going to be an interesting football game. Yeah. I mean, Paul Saskatchewan being here, they deserve to be here. And let's see if... uh, and let's see uh, what happens. Saskatchewan pulls out the win uh, back on October 7th. They pull out a close win over the Toronto Argonauts. I think this is an interesting football game between these two teams because the Argos, they had the bye week, but they were one of the hottest teams coming into the playoffs. The Riders are one of the hottest teams in the CFL uh, throughout the second half of the season. We, we expected Ottawa to come out and beat them last week, and they played a heck of a football game and took advantage of Ottawa's flaws. Will they come out again and beat the uh, beat the Toronto Argonauts this week and, conti- and, and try to make history here, Mike? No crossover team has ever made it to the Grey Cup. You know, we talked about one thing being uh, interesting about having things, having a door that right for a crossover team Saskatchewan is the most complete team in recent years of any team that has gone to crossover in my opinion I would agree with you and I take nothing away from last year's Edmonton Eskimo team but the Ryder team of this year is a lot better than that Edmonton team of last year you know and that's what I said as well is yes you know the the Riders came out and fully earned that victory over the Ottawa Red Blacks. History and records aren't on their side to come out and mate and win this football game this week. But if any crossover team in recent history was built to make it to the Grey Cup, I think it's these Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Why not? For Toronto, you know, a nine and nine season, obviously a lot better than we expected them to be coming into the play, uh, coming into the year. They get that first round by coming in, uh, and, and they'll play the Riders this week. Uh, what are you expecting to see from Toronto in this game? Um, Toronto better have an A game right for me opening kickoff to the final whistle. Because if they don't, Saskatchewan. And Chris Jones is going to have them ready. By the way, the interesting thing is, the Riders actually stayed in Ontario this week. Right. Practicing in Ottawa, then they'll make their way up to Toronto later in the week. Yeah, instead of going home in between, like normally would happen, right? Right. And then they're going to move from Toronto back to Ottawa if they win this week. Interesting. Getting into the matchups between these two teams here, um, I think we're for in for a pretty even football game. Offensively, who do you give the nod to? Riders. Why? More playmaker. Uh, sorry, who did I give the edge to? Yeah. Offensively, as far as playmakers, riders, quarterbacks, I give the edge to Toronto. I give the edge to Toronto kind of fully in this one. Um, and that's nothing against playmakers in Saskatchewan. I and, and it's not like an absolute huge. I'm giving the advantage to Toronto. It's still a close one, um, but I, you know, I think they have their fair share of playmakers as well. Um, 
you know, Devere Posey, SJ Green. They got James Wilder at running back, which I'm so excited to see what he does in this football game because he's such a dynamic player. Um, Ricky Ray at quarterback, I give him the nod over Kevin Glenn, although Kevin Glenn, if he comes out and plays well, I wouldn't be surprised because uh, you can tell he wants to win so badly. I, I give the net nod to the Argos, but... Seeing the running game with Saskatchewan over the last couple of weeks and what Marcus Thigpen did against Ottawa, that almost makes it closer because coming in, you take out you know what Marcus Thigpen did lately, and I'm fully giving the nod to Toronto just based on James Wilder alone. I think there's a lot more even matchup in my eyes on offense now than I thought it would be. For sure. Uh, defensive side of the ball, who do you give the edge to, Toronto or Saskatchewan? Saskatchewan. Why? Uh, they have a tenacious uh, uh, defensive line, some talented uh, defenders who can make plays, and just the ability to make plays on a dime when needed. Saskatchewan, just a little bit more. Yeah, I would. I'll give the nod to Saskatchewan as well in that sense. Um, you know, I, I think Saskatchewan's defense is almost like a premium uh, value uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense in the sense that they force turnovers like the Bombers defense does, but they have the added premium value of actually being able to, you know, stop from giving up tons of yards. Exactly. I think the model of defense that the Bombers want to be is in Saskatchewan. And I think that defense is just built, you know, uh, play so many playmakers. I would not be surprised to see this game come down to an Ed Ganey interception. Ed Ganey, multifaceted Ed. <laughs> what a Twitter handle. What a great player, too. What a great season for Ed Ganey. I mean, come on. This is a guy that we want. I, I think he, I think he uh, totally disrespected for defensive player of the year. I, I, I still think it uh, it was Alex Singleton was named out of the West, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have chosen Alex Singleton myself, but Ed Ganey definitely deserved some consideration, uh, and I'm sure he got it because an incredible year from Ed Ganey, and he's kind of that leader for me on that Riders defense. Toronto's defense isn't bad in its own right, but I give the edge to Saskatchewan a little here. Moving on to I, moving on to the special teams game here, Mike. Who do I give the edge to? Yeah. Oh boy, is Liam the punter to in Toronto? Yes. Excuse me, I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen Toronto play in what team played forever. Um, so I kind of forget these things. Um, I give the edge to Saskatchewan. Not on the kicking, not on the punting, but on the returning. Christian Jones, game breaker. You have two real game breaker returners here. You have Martise Jackson on one side for Toronto, Christian Jones on the the other side for Saskatchewan. You got Tyler Caprina, Josh Bartell, and then Liram Haralahu for the Argos. I think it's pretty even matchup, if you ask me. Uh, so I'm going to call it a wash between these two sides because they've got some great kickers uh, and punters, and they also, you know, they have uh, they have even return games. I think they're both explosive returners. 
final pitch, Ryan? Uh, before we get into that, the this might be one of the most intriguing coaching matchups I've ever seen. You have, oh, so. you have Mark Tressman and Chris Jones. Mark Tressman is the age-old story of success when it comes goes back to his days with the uh, with the Montreal Alouettes. He ha- he has his way with quarterbacks. He knows what he's doing. And then you have Chris Jones on the other side who has seen his fair share of success in his time as a CFL coach, but almost seems to do it, whereas Mark Tressman, you see more of a traditional way. Chris Jones, you see more of an unconventional way. Which style prevails? That is the question. I I, I think it's Mark Tressman. I, I, I'll take Mark Tressman. Why? To me, I don't know. It's just Mark Tressman has that history with him, uh, and I love what he's done uh, with the Argos team this year, and I just think he has a little more in him. That you have to wonder, Chris Jones is that guy that likes to take his risks, as much as Mike O'Shea clearly does, Chris Jones is that guy you know is going to take a risk, and you have to wonder if you know he tries to take one and it doesn't end up in his favor. What if that ends up impacting the game? So am I in the center seat in Toronto? I am. I'm taking the Argos. This was my Grey Cup pick coming into the playoffs. You heard it last week on the show. I'm taking the Argos to win this football game. Interesting. How about yourself? Winnipeggers don't want to hear this. I have the Riders winning not only the East Final, but the Grey Cup. Now, now this is something interesting I heard when I was listening to the radio this morning. You you mentioned Winnipeggers not wanting to hear this. Seeing Kevin Glenn, former Bomber, never won a Grey Cup, have a chance at it, does that give you an incentive to cheer for Saskatchewan despite them being the Prairie Rivals or... Uh, does it not matter to you? To me, that's what's making me cheer for the Riders. I, I think it's a valid argument. I love Kevin Glenn. He's one of my favorite CFL players. Uh, and, I, I, there's also the Winnipeg connection to Saskatchewan, and that's 10 in La France. Right. Um, so you're taking Saskatchewan. I'm taking Toronto. We're both taking Edmonton. Those are our picks for the second round of the playoffs. Uh, it's bound to be another great weekend of football, uh, all leading up to the Grey Cup two weeks from yesterday, as this is recorded and released Monday night. Um, 13 days from now. 13 days from now, Mike, and then it all comes to an end with the Grey Cup. We're in for some exciting football. Uh, any thoughts here to close out the show? Um, not been CFL related, but if you wouldn't mind, uh, if I could slide in, uh, uh, U Sports, um, a U Sports, uh, University Football shout out. Yeah, sure. Go for a quick one. I'm just looking for the name here. Uh, there was a kicker from Matadry Dinos. He won the Hardy Cup, making the longest kick. In Canadian University sport football history, he makes a 59-yard field goal as time expires. He's a Winnipegger, Nico DiPonte. That was Oak an Park. incredible kick. That was an incredible kick. I don't give, I don't give uh, shout out to U Sport kickers very often, 
but he literally makes this 59-yard kick as Tit expired, and I'm watching it right now just so I know what I'm talking about. And UBC puts a die in the end zone, okay, to tip this out if he misses it, right? Right. To keep in mind, UBC is up by one point at this point in time. So he tips it, and this thing clears the line by a couple of inches. It cleared the goalpost. This defender, subsequently in the end zone, takes the football in frustration, pits it up, and spikes it on the ground in absolute bewilderment. Hmm. 44-43, the final score. What an end to a football game. And now, if I may quickly talk about the the uh, U Sport Atlantic final, sure, which they which they originally canceled this weekend because of the player ineligibility. Right. Uh, yeah, I was hearing about that. So anyway, this game will turns out be played tomorrow afternoon on Tuesday after the conference reversed its original decision. Interesting. So they're playing the game tomorrow afternoon at Acadia University. And then the winner of that game has to come across Canada to play Calgary in the Mitchell Bowl National Semifinal on Saturday afternoon. Lots of football. University, college, CFL. Lots to come in the next couple of weeks. And one other thing, congratulations to the uh, Saskatoon Hilltops on a Prairie Football Conference, not just the Prairie Football Conference, but a Canadian Junior Football National Championship. They're fourth in a row. That's pretty impressive. Four championships in a row, 27 years of no championships here in Winnipeg. And for those that were wondering, the Manitoba Bisons failed to qualify for the U-Sport football postseason going 1-7. and seven. That, That's tough to see, tough to see. Yeah. So and there's all kinds of football coming to a head uh, in the next little while. Of course, the high school finals just finished here this past weekend. Very anticlimactic. Lots of football across the board to come. Lots of football coverage across the board yet to come from us. Um, we're in discussions right now, you and I, Mike. You know, we've been discussing the last several years. We've been known to, okay, the season ends. Here's our season wrap-up show. We'll see you in June. Me and Mike are working on that right now. I'm possibly continuing to bring regular shows throughout the winter. Yay! More conversation, more ridiculous thoughts from both of us. Make of it by what the, you will. By the way, I never thought one segment last week when we made those bizarre uh, football pits would get so much attention. <laughs> I've had three people get a hold of me wanting to hear the segment. Yeah, we'll have to... Uh, maybe that'll have to be a regular thing going forward. Crazy. Uh by the way, I did want to say congratulations to our Eskimo Empire podcast for uh, the win on the weekend. Absolutely. Great friends over at the Eskimo Empire podcast. 
More coverage to come from us yet this week. I mentioned it off the top of the show. Last week, uh, I did the CFL playoff roundtable special uh, episode of the podcast. We had a couple, gr- we had four great interviews uh, from different teams around the league. You know, we had Andrew from the Eskimo Empire podcast, Steve from the Piffles podcast, Tim Baines of the Ottawa Sun, and we had uh, Robert Dalton from the Rouge Radio podcast join me last week for a special episode of the show to tee up the first round of the playoffs. Mike, that is our most listened to show in the history of this podcast. And on that note, we're bringing it back again this week. Uh, I've got four interviews lined up for another special episode coming out Thursday. And I can give you the details of who they all are right now. Look forward to uh, our round two CFL playoff roundtable hearing from uh, Ryan Ballantyne of the CFL Horseman Radio uh, to talk Calgary Stampeders. Uh, super fan Mike of the Eskimo Empire podcast will be joining me to talk about the Edmonton Eskimos. Clay Chisholm of the Argos fan cast to talk the Toronto Argonauts. And then Travis Curra of the 2 and Out CFL podcast will be joining me to talk about the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders as we tee up the second round of the CFL playoffs. Here's another interesting thing, guys. And I will say this, Ryan, you probably won't like this. But I'm going to have to pump that round table uh, for people to listen to it again because I thought it was one of the best things that has ever been produced on or using the resources of Mike FM. So congratulations to you, Ryan. Well, thank you very much, Mike. It was a blast to produce. I'm looking forward to doing this next round of interviews and bringing you that this week. Uh, again, you can uh, check out all of our shows. Uh, check out that one act on our uh, soundcloud or itunes pages at the canadian football countdown uh the limited what, what you, the only thing that would top that if one of these years we could somehow get to the great cup and do all the interviews at the great cup that would be wonderful might happen in our lifetimes um limited space on our soundcloud and itunes pages all of our old shows we should mention are up on uh the mike fm winnipeg uh, SoundCloud page, and you can go there. There's a playlist of all of our old shows from earlier in the season. If you've missed any of those and want to go back and listen to them, you can definitely do that there. Yeah, and I will be updating that uh, tomorrow morning, including your roundtable and today's show. Wonderful. That does it for this week. Again, roundtable special will be out again Thursday. Um, And then uh, we'll be back next week again to uh, preview the Grey Cup, Mike. Hard to believe, Brian. Hard to believe. Hard to believe it's coming to an end. That's it for this week. I hope everyone enjoys this weekend's games. Uh, Two more weeks left of the CFL football season. Hopefully we get some good football out of this all. Hope everyone enjoys it. Hope everyone has a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you again next week. For Michael Garrell, this is Ryan Coop. This has been the Canadian Football Countdown, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.